Hi, this is Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess with Skull Combat Sports Equipment, and you are listening to Eddie Goldman with No Holds Barred. Hi, my name is Melissa Smith from GirlBoxing.org, and I'm listening to No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. the world. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. On this edition of the show, we once again spoke with our colleagues Chris Baldwin of The War Room and Melissa Smith of Girl Boxing on The War Room. A video of this discussion has also been posted on the War Sports YouTube page. We spoke with them by Zoom Monday, April 11th. Our guest was Kristen Worley. We had a lengthy discussion to dispel the myths about transgender participation in sports. So, let's get right to it. Welcome to the War Room, everyone. I am your fight goddess, Chris Baldwin, and I am here with my boxing family, my fight family, women's boxing historian, Melissa Smith, my co-host, Mr. Eddie Goldman. He's an award-winning sports journalist. And today we are so pleased to have in our War Room, Miss, is that Mrs. Kristen Worley? It's, uh, it's Ms. Ms. <laughs> Ms. Kristen Worley, a diversity Thank and you. policy advisor and founder of the Human Diversity and Sport Foundation. And she won a joint decision between Cycling Canada, Ontario Cycling Association, and the UCI, which all agreed to adapt their policies on gender verification and therapeutic use of exemptions on banned substances like testosterone, I believe, correct? Yeah, yeah it's much more detailed than that, but we'll be, I guess we'll we're going to talk about, yeah, talk about yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Well, welcome to yeah. the show, Kristen. It's much more, I, it's much more involved than Yeah, that. I, I want you, because we are all going to get an education today, because um, this is like a hot topic. Trans athletes uh, taking, uh, going in and competing, and now we've got a whole slew of people saying they want to ban trans women from c competing against uh, cis-born women. So let's just jump into this topic. Tell us a, a little bit more about this landmark case you won in 2016. Well, I think it's really important. Um, uh, thank, first of all, thanks you guys for having me on. I'm really excited. And, I, and it was really great to catch up with Eddie the other day. Um, we caught up on, a, we have a lot of past history and right back to the the Fallon Fox days. So, okay. um, so there's a lot of history and I was just glad to touch base with Eddie. It's been, it's been many years and, and I'm glad we're touching base on, on this conversation all these years later, who knew, right? right. So <laughs> it's a hot topic, Kristen. It's a hot and topic. Important. Unfortunately, really unfortunately important. you guys, it is a hot topic and, <laughs> and, and I've been in it for 19 years. So it's been, a, it's, a, it's an unfortunate hot topic. And, and I think I'm hoping that we can shed a light on a few of these things today. So coming back to my case, I think, I think there's, I think we'll, we'll go back another decade and a half. Okay. And I think what's really important, I was the, the first athlete in the world to actually, um, the 2003 policy that came out by the International Olympic Committee, I was the first athlete in the world actually to go through that, um, to which I was gender tested and violated um, by um, eight men. 
Um, and it was, it was through a period of over between my starting back in sport and cycling back in 2004, um, which involved the Canadian government, um, our anti-doping and the World Anti-Doping Agency, the UCI, which is the Union Cycling International, and also the IOC. So um, it, it, was, it was a collaboration of relationships. And it was back in, in 2006, um, we knew that this was a problem. We knew this was a time when sex reassignment was a, a prerequisite as a, as, a, as a participation in sport. And myself I had come forward and said that we knew this was all wrong back then because we knew the impact to complete androgen deprivation and also um, the sex reassignment, which is complete impact to the, the endocrine system um, and actually disconnects the brain from vital organs in the body, um, which um, which over time we now know historically um, is, is putting athletes at risk. And so the, so I, with that conversation came out in 2006 and we tried to adopt it into the 2007 policy changes in WADA and WADA would not do it. Um, my, my girlfriend, my Ann Bagger, who was on the, uh, who is Danish, um, was on the women's European tour in, in women's golf at the time. And a very good a friend of mine, a mutual friend of mine, and somebody who you already may know is uh, Jameson Green, Dr. Jameson Green. Um, he's one of the first transition men in the world. He's a, one of the top experts in this space. He actually is a two-time um, president of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. So he was one of the experts in our circle at the time. So back in 2008, just to give everybody a little bit of historical reference, because I think there's a lot of gap here. Um, there certainly is a lot of gap of information um, where, <clears throat> I was able to uh, talk to the International Olympic Committee. This is when Jacques Brode was president of the IOC um, at the time. And I was able to speak with Dr. Dr. Brode myself personally. And also then at the time, led by a gentleman by the name of Arnie Link, which was a Swedish physician out of Sweden, um, who ran the uh, IOC Medical Commission cha as chair. He also uh, was vice president of, of, uh, of the Medical Commission for the IA then IAF, which is now World Athletics. And also he sat on the head of the, as the commission for the World Anti-Doping Agency at the same time. So he was kind of, kind of the designer of all of this, um, along with a gentleman by the name of Patrick, Dr. Schumach, who was a French orthopedic surgeon, who was the, the vice president of the medical commission back in 2008 for the IOC. And I was able to collaborate a meeting um, at that time, with, which involved the Canadian government, members of the Canadian government, the members of our Canadian anti-doping, as well as the IOC, um, which Mayan and, and Jameson participated in the, in the same conference call. This is back in the day, but we don't have Zoom and all these other things. We actually had to sell it, set up with our, our main tele, telephone organization here, our national telephone company, to set up this global conference call. Um, and at the time, um, Mayan and I, again, were those naive athletes, and uh, you know, we only wanted to do well by sport, but we were explaining to Dr. Shumash at the time how our bodies were failing us. And we knew we were unwell and we knew these things were happening. Um, and then what had happened as the conversation continued, um, Dr. Shumash eventually came out um, and uh, said there was no science and research to any of the, of the policies that were being produced and published by the IOC uh, starting back in 2003. And at, the, at that point in time, he actually threatened me personally because he was embarrassed that he had to actually present this to members of the Canadian government that were sitting there quietly on the phone. 
and saying to them that I never did it. And then he actually said it. He actually said, I, I'll never forget it. I've actually written about it in my autobiography um, where he actually said to me, he goes, he goes, Kristen, if you want to come to the games, he said in a very strong French accent. Um, and he said, if you want to come to the games, he goes, you play by my rules. He couldn't answer the science, the, the questions that my aunt and I had presented. He threatened me on the phone. And then, and then my aunt actually came to the, came on, came on right after me and said, well, Dr. Schumach, what would be the purpose of regender testing Kristen at a major games? And he goes, I can do anything I want. So pretty scary, pretty serious ways of thinking about these things. And so finally, that was the moment when the Canadian government had learned, as I write about in my autobiography, um, this is something I remember during my gender testing and, and, and one of the trauma that I experienced is that I, a, very, a line that I use in, in my autobiography, I said, these people felt they could, they could do it, they had a right, and I deserved it. They knowing absolutely nothing. So that was when the time, in that very moment, um, as the Canadian government was, officials from the Canadian government of sports and our anti-doping around the line, they're absolutely quiet. That was the moment when they actually realized they raped me. Mm. There's only the only reason why they did what they did was because the policy from a, a private entity in Switzerland said this is what we are saying as a prerequisite to sport, but then to understand that there was no science and research to it and that we were actually traumatizing athletes. Okay, and in my case, I was raped because I was gender tested. I'm the only athlete ever in the historic of, of, of these issues around transgender um, that that has happened to. So, so it was really important at that moment in time to be able to, to have that clarification. Um, and as it went as far as I remember the gentleman by the name of Joseph DePontier, he was the legal director of the, what was the Canadian Center of Ethics and Sport, which is our, it's like your US anti-doping. And he actually came out knowing that he could hear the, the, the concern of Patrick and he knew Patrick was in trouble on the call. And Patrick goes, he asked Patrick, he goes, Patrick, it's Joseph here. And he goes, what should we be doing? And Patrick yells at him, he goes, he goes get Kristen to get us the science and the research. <laughs> so it was, it was a very, you know, it was, Something I hadn't experienced, um, and certainly when we think of our global leaders and international federations, when it comes to athlete health, athlete protections, and all of those things, especially organizations that have the reputation to be the global leaders, um, to know that they actually were failing the system and actually had they were not actually had never done the work. So, so that was really important. So for, for over a period from 2008 up to 2015, I'm circling back to my case is that I was downloaded on from all levels of sport from 2008 through to 2015, where my body continued to fail me because they didn't want the world to know what they had done. And that there was no science and research to any, any of the policies that were put forward between, between that period of time, between 2003 to 2015, okay? Period, zero. I just want the world to know that, nothing. <laughs> and, and so, so it was really important for me when I, in 2015, I, my body had completely failed me because my body could no longer support itself because it, I, through complete androgen deprivation and the endocrine impact to my physiology due to my transition and the surgical intervention of my body all those years ago, my body could no longer support itself because we've taken the gas out of the car, out of the engine, the, the, the primary engine, right? So at that, at that particular moment in time, I realized that I needed to, my career was coming to an end, but what I needed to do was to take this out of sport because I went, originally went to the court of arbitration and switched them privately. And some of the, the private lawyers inside the cast 
the CAS is the acronym for your listeners. And they said, we thought one day, Kristen, you might bring this case. Is that what they said? We thought that one day you'd bring this case to us. And But the court of arbitration isn't the place to do this. The court, the CAS is about contract law and anti-doping. Mm. So I hum and haw, what, what am I going to do? So I figured out what the, what I had to do was to, to, to disconnect myself from sport. So every athlete signs, it doesn't matter what sport you're in. It doesn't matter if it's cycling, athletics, um, swimming, whatever, whatever sport was within the, within the family of, 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 of the, of the family of the Olympic movement. Um, I had to disconnect myself from that contract for, for my, for my Canadian, for the Supreme Court of Canada to, to recognize my, my legal identity as a citizen of Canada. Mm-hmm. So what I was able to do, I, I was able to do that successfully. So came coming August 5th, uh, 2015, I was able to, uh, work with a series of lawyers here in Toronto who specialize in human rights, um, and we spent six months writing writing the the, the legal the legal piece um, before we did anything, and we brought it forward um, back in 2000, August two thousand and fifteen, um, which I had the support from the Ontario government. In, in Canada, we have provinces as you have states, and I had I had provincial support in, on supporting me on this case, which also made me an equal to the the. the the people that I was participating in, which included the IOC, the World Anti-Doping Agency, UCI, and the and actors of the Canadian government. So there's five major sporting bodies of all levels of sport that I was I was trying to connect this to. But my goal was never to come back to sport. My goal was to be able to bring people to the table to have a, a, a conversation that was been missing um, all this period of time. So... At that point, um, familiar to, to many of your listeners, um, I, I know many in, in, the, in the U.S. have been talking about the, the 2015 policy that was put up by the IOC um, early January. Well, that specific policy was not set up to, to look at having transgendered athletes in, in sport. That's, that legal policy was set up when I got jurisdiction in, in August, September um, against the International Olympic Committee and international sport outside of the court of arbitration. So the, what that meant was, and this is why this is really important for all athletes. It's not, it's not, it's not even just an issue for gender and, and diversity as we're talking about my, my case specifically. It's important for all athletes in which we're talking about how athletes need to find um, within their nations the appropriate legal support going forward when they've been traumatized or impacted through sport and not through the mediation system as part of the autonomy system that we have within the United States or Canada or other nations that sign on as signatories, and which forces us to the court of arbitration, which isn't designed specifically for these issues. Mm-hmm. So what this allowed me to do was to take this outside of that, of that arbitrary system, which is run and controlled by sport, to be able to put it into a civil litigation situation for the very first time. So there's an, there's an athlete from Germany, her name was, um, her, her last name was Pestein, and she was a speed skater. And she tried to do this a few years ago through because of an, an anti-doping issue that she was um, tried on. And she tried to do it within the German courts, but the German courts wouldn't allow her to get too far um, because she was a, still a signatory athlete under under her speed skating licensing arrangement with 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 World Sports with her federation. So she. The, the courts in Germany stopped her. And it's, just, it's the very same reason why Castor now is at the, at the European Human Rights Tribunal is because 
what they've learned through me, and I, I've known Greg Knott, who's Caster's lawyer since 2009, when the first incident happened in Berlin, was that Greg and his colleagues went to the court of arbitration to help deal with Caster's case initially. And it just kind of blew up because it was never the right place for it. And so what Greg has learned through my process and which I've shown, shown the process, she, what Caster has had to do, and that's why she's not running. She had to decouple herself mm -hmm. from her licensing agreement as an athlete with, with now world athletics um, to be able to take it to the European human rights tribunal um, to be able to do this properly. Um, so that's why it's, my case was really, really important in this process to be able to illustrate that, not just because of this specific issue, but more importantly, um, to be able to have appropriate legal support and remedy um, to be able to support athletes who've been traumatized in a, in a given situation. It doesn't, doesn't have to be related to gender. Right. So, yeah. That is fascinating. Um, what do you think about, uh, and I'm actually wondering if you've seen the British medical journals, uh, they posted a study done uh, with 200, I think 22 transitioning athletes from United States Air Force. And they kind of tracked their, um, they did the hormone suppression for two years, and they still found that some of the trans athletes, so they would say about, they kept a 30% athletic advantage, 15 to 31% athletic advantage um, displayed over their female counterparts. Have you seen that study at all? Do you? Oh, I know, I know Timothy's work. I know, I, I know many physicians work. So Timothy is one of them. And, and, and oh, Dr. Joshua Timothy and Roberts. I, I know, I know this, I know the study well. Okay. Okay, so I think let's. I'm going to come back to my case, which I think that's going to help everybody. Right. Um, is also so coming back to my case is what these people are unaware of is that again coming as I as I mentioned to you is the the issue around sex reassignment. Okay, so when I came when I was able to get jurisdiction on my case in Toronto. Okay. What it meant was for the IO, the International Olympic Committee and their and, the, and WADA, the legal team that came into Toronto um, into the Superior Court in Toronto. What they did on their own, this is really important. They removed sex reassignment from the from the policy on their own coming in on, on the on the February twenty eighth, um, two thousand sixteen. Why did they do that? Because they knew back in two thousand and six and two thousand and eight that this was a problem. And that the downloading that came on top of me over those period of years, it, was, it happened because I was able to get jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I hadn't gotten jurisdiction in Toronto and got them outside the court of arbitration, sex reassignment surgery today would still be, would be in the system. It would still be in the, in the, in the, um, in the, in the, as a prerequisite in the gender. They, meaning gender they department. would have to physically do the whole transitioning before they could. Compete. That's correct. That, that, wow. so, so, so my case stopped that. My case stopped that part of the harm. Okay. And so I had to endure that since 2004 up to 2015, because within that seven, eight year period, I knew better than everybody else. And I was being shut down and they didn't want the world to know. And so at the cost of, of my health and well-being in my career, um, which my own government colluded in. It's very clear. I've talked about this in my, in my book, in my autobiography. It's very well known. Um, and they, and they, they participated in that to be able to not to negate what the, what the work that they never did. And, and it was really important that, and that's why I brought my case forward, was that I needed to stop the harm. 
in 2015, I had to step away from my sport, my, my health and well-being, and I, I had come to know too many other athletes that had been harmed behind the scenes. That they were, their, their health was failing them for obvious reasons uh, because the body couldn't sustain themselves. So the issue was, is because he never did the science and the research to so the policies, Paul, athletes are assuming when they, when they sign their signatory license to either be uh, uh, cycling, uh, snow skiing, uh, weightlifting, and all these other sports, that there is science and research in that policy system designed to help to support them on and off the field of play. Well, I can tell you it doesn't exist, mm. okay? It, hasn't, it doesn't exist today, period. Okay, so, so, so when I read, coming back to Timothy and the, and the piece that's written here, mm -hmm. they've written something on an assumption, first of all, that, that the policies of, of sport were based on science and research. So first of all, it wasn't, it was based off my legal case. Okay, so there's not, there's not even a starting off jumping point to, to, to the research that they've assumed doing here in terms of competitive performance, because we already know it does harm. So the issue is, is the issue is we have, athletes now who are not going through who are not going through the surgical interventions of their bodies so when we put when we use the word trans or transgendered it's a very different body type so they say like somebody like me Fallon Fox Laurel Hubbard Miami Bagger and a few other athletes who we know that our body has failed us because of that surgical intervention okay because the body can no longer support itself over a Eight to ten year window since the surgical intervention of our bodies okay to create the vulva so now what you've got you've got and and not taking away from these athletes in terms of their gender identity and and their and their and their which exists uh, but the issue is is that from a medical science piece these are because the, the oppression of the hormones of testosterone is no different than somebody being hyper what we have the term is called hypogonadism Mm -hmm. Okay, so the World Anti-Doping Agency has policy on hypogonadism. We know that it makes XY chromosome individuals unwell when you reduce their testosterone. We have it for Paralympic athletes, we have it for cancer treatment athletes, and we have it for just naturally aging masters athletes whose testosterone is naturally lowering um, because, of, because of age. Right. So, so what's happened, when, as soon as we put a label tra trans on that, People go crazy and think that somehow we need new science and research when in fact we don't. But let me, just ask, let, let me just ask you, because I'm, you know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach and I, happen, and I <laughs> happen to be at Fallon Fox's um, medical review board the day that they were going to decide whether to give Fallon Fox a fight license, I? right? I was there gonna, too. Right. You were there? Okay. Well, I talked to the doctors because- I was, I was, I was on phones. I was on phones with them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was actually in the, in the hearing. Um, so when we recessed, my question to the doctors mm -hmm. was just a simple, has there been any type of strength and conditioning testing of trans athletes compared to women, to, to you know, compared to yeah. biologically born women and the answer was no so right. so so but now they've done the test with the air force a small group and they're showing that some of them okay some trans women still have an edge however the trans men uh even though they failed like they failed in the push-up category as they when they first started but after, right. after a year of testosterone they were the exact same as the guys i thought that was fascinating
I'm I'm ready. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna I'm gonna help. So with that. I'm just saying from a from That's, a from a coach's perspective. As it, lovely as that thought is, that somehow we are all the guys when they transition are all going to be. I want to I want to. No, say, you didn't say you. all of them. They just said a small percentage still maintained an edge. Right. So I'm you gonna, know whatever I'm that is. You, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions. Okay. But first of all, I'm gonna give you everybody a little bit of history. Okay. The process of hormone replacement therapy was designed by a gentleman by the, a gentleman who I know by the name of Harry Benjamin. Originally, the World Professional Association was called the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association out of New York. Dr. Benjamin died in 1996. I knew Dr. Benjamin back in those days, so those early days of my own transition. And so he, he was a researcher, and his, the, what they found is that as we all start off as female in gestation, Okay, I want to be able to, there, there is a physical issue in terms of the, the way that the brain functions and the hypothalamus gland is the center, the gender center of all of our brains. Okay, okay. we all start off as female. So when the SRY gene kicks off and somebody who has XY chromosome at eight to 10 weeks of gestation, what happens is at that time, there's a single gonad. There's not, there's not double ovaries or, or double testicles. There's just a single gonad. And what that does is then sends out a flushing of testosterone throughout the system. And in our bodies, all of us, we all have them, it's called androgen receptors, okay? So think of the androgen receptor as a sponge, right? okay? So what happens, everybody, as you guys know, every sponge has different absorbency rates, okay? I'm just making this really simple for the listeners and for, for us all talking about. <laughs> so what happens is that the when the testosterone flushing comes into the body, there is a receptor that is before the hypothalamus gland. Okay. It's, okay. it's at that point, it's always, it's in its female state. Okay. It's quote unquote female state. And what happens is depending on the, the absorbency rate of the, of the androgen receptors, okay. will translate to how much androgen that hypothalamus gland receives. Okay. So what happens is depending on that level will be, will help to, for the simplicity of our, of our listeners and for our discussion, will dictate the rate of how much androgen, but the, the masculinization of the hypothalamus mm -hmm. gland, okay? So that's why people are fluctuating in different, different levels of, you know, and that, so it's a very physical, it is a very physical science. It's a very known science, okay? So when you're actually talking about this in, in that concept, it's not so much about the testosterone, it's about the uptake ability of the body to absorb testosterone, how it uses it. So going back to what you're just saying to me, Chris, and, and the findings about just generally, just what you were just talking about in terms of the athlete performance or the personal performance, of course that's the way, because that's how the receptor uptake of an individual and how much androgens their body produces is the uptake of that and then how their body then well, all the other values of their physicality together will, will dictate their performance, right? So I, like myself and many other athletes who have transitioned on, especially the surgical intervention, because what happens with the surgical intervention, as, as many of you may know, there, it's like a figure eight. It goes from the pituitary gland to the, and the hypothalamus gland, down to your major organs, and then down to your ovaries or testicles, and then loops back. It's constantly doing this thousands and thousands of times a day, mm -hmm. okay? So when you have the surgical intervention, Okay, what you're doing is you're removing the body's main ability to generate hormones. You're removing the testicles or the ovaries. In this case, we're talking about transition women. Okay, so you're removing the, the body's ability to create any hormone whatsoever. 
but you're also physically making a physical break in the endocrine system. So all of a sudden that looping between the hypothalamus gland to the pituitary gland is no longer circling back down to the major organs or down to going back and say, okay, Chris, for instance, when you're working out, all of a sudden your ovaries are removed and your hypothalamus gland- I don't have any gland, ovaries. <laughs> well, separate of your own physicality, because we're using general science here. Right. <laughs> okay. That messaging is going out when you're training right. and saying, okay, we need to increase Chris's estrogen and progesterone and, and, and right. secondary hormone testosterone to help her with recovery while she's training. Okay. So that message goes out, but there's nothing, no place to receive it right. because it's been removed. Okay. So you, everybody who are athletes out in the world of sport, who don't, who have not been through any type of biological transition through to deal with gender, their, their bodies are constantly in this circulating form. They're healthy, okay? Transition is not healthy, okay? From a surgical intervention, okay? Because Dr. Benjamin, does everybody understands the science? As the World Professional Association for Transgender Health will say, because I my colleagues who I speak to regularly, sport has been misusing the, the, the issue around hormone replacement therapy. It was designed for mental health. It was never designed for long-term health or well-being of an individual, let alone sport, let alone high-performance sport, okay? So this is where a lot of people are, are thinking that somehow the, uh, sorry, the, 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 um, the introduction of hormone replacement therapy is going to do all these wonderful things. No, it wasn't designed for that. And, and the World Professional Association of Transgender Health would tell you that. So there are all these, most of these discussions are make-believe and, and it's nonsense because really what, going back to Tim's report and so on, the biological report that he did for the BGM, which is kind of off a, a strange question in the first place, once you understand all this, is that it's, it's really about the androgen deprivation of the, the complete androgen deprivation of the human physiology, along, along with that long-term and, and the impact to the human physiology. It has nothing to do with hormone replacement there. Estrogen Low-level estrogen in a body that has XY chromosome that was originally designed by nature as its sole primary hormone testosterone, it's, you're comparing to apples to oranges to the physiology. They're, they, will, they, will, they will never meet. And the idea when you're talking about, in terms of your body and my physiology, let's just compare that. You're XX, I'm XY. So what are your primary hormones in your body? Let me just ask you, I'm just gonna ask you just to help. Help to help. Well, to I got a lot of testosterone flowing through my veins. You're not answering my question. You're not <laughs> answering my question. It's estrogen know. and progesterone. Right, estrogen and progesterone, but mine are low because I don't have any ovaries. Okay, right. Okay. And mine are low because yeah, I'm yeah. menopausal. But right. right, right, right. Perfect, ladies. Perfect. That's exactly what I want you to say. Okay. Yep. And secondary is testosterone. And why, why is that? Why is that? I don't know. It's for reproductive. Yeah, right. There's always a low level of testosterone, which rises That's and falls. Right. Basically, at the end of ovulation, the testosterone level rises, estrogen goes down, right progesterone goes up. That's right. And so You're on. Right I mean, on. I have a daughter, for instance, who's dealing with higher, higher testosterone level which is uh, related to PCOS. So it's- well, I have a sister exactly the same. I have a sister yeah. the same. I have a, I have a sister exactly the same that you're talking about, struggles with it. Absolutely. So that, you're right on. So what I'm trying to say here is when people are trying to suggest that 
that you can bring down testosterone levels to comparable to somebody who has XX chromosomes, it's impossible. Okay, it is, it's physiological, unless there's a Darwinian moment in our, in our history, in our biological history, in the next hundred years, which isn't gonna happen, <laughs> it's physiologically impossible. Okay, so anybody, any medical perverse, pervert person or researcher who's trying to make comparison like this as, as they're kind of their starting questions when it comes to these, the, the sciences and the reports that they're putting out on, on human performance is, is a non-starter because we know, first of all, as I stated back before, we knew back in 06 and 08, there was no science and research to any of the supporting policies, okay? And it hasn't been for the last 15, 16 years. And we know too, that the current policy that's out there was specifically a result of my legal case in Toronto. There is no science and research to that, okay? Other than the fact that, that we do understand hypogonadism, where there's been a non-surgical intervention to the XY physiology. We know that science, it exists, okay? Well, why can't we do this? Why can't there be testing? So some type of science so that it puts this question to rest and that Trans women can compete at competitive elite levels. I mean, well, I think I think we got to with step back. with with uh, women being comfortable saying that it's that that it's fair because well, biological women are pissed off that you know they feel like okay, trans women come in and now they're just taking all our medals, even though well, we know I, that let's, that's let's, not let's, true. Chris, let's let's just step back. So we'll step back. We'll step back. Let's step back. I mean, I can give you a couple of examples, but let's let's just step back first. You just you just learned about your own physiology and your own science. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first of all, you understand they're completely different physiology. So a lot of women are in this understanding with all the social media and the repetition of the social media that's out there, that somehow there's there is this huge complexity that that there and it's incorrect. Okay. The starting point, everybody's missed the plot. Okay, because they don't have the, the appropriate science research and they're not even asking the right questions. And what's happening is people are getting hurt. Okay, mm -hmm. so what the problem is, that's, that's really the biggest challenge we've got. And what I've learned with the IOC, and I've spent the last two and a half years with them, is what you've seen this pivot and framework change. That is a direct derivative of the work of me re reconnecting with them. It wasn't easy because I had to humanize the very people that harmed me. Okay, but I, I knew in my mind that I had to stop the, stop the harm and begin and stop the harm at me. And we all knew behind the scenes, the reality of, of, this, distort, of, this, of this history. And so that's why you've seen such an enormous pivot by the, the IOC um, on this framework, which is actually a bigger pivot, which is a, a bigger organizational shift um, around the UN guiding principles and a more integrated approach where the gender question became as, as a small part of a bigger trajectory for the IOC generally. So, and I'm real, I'm very proud of Dr., uh, uh, President Bach to be able, to, he understands that harm, there is a historical harm and that he knew it had to stop. And so I really applaud what the IOC is doing, but the rest of sport now has to catch up. So it's really kind of identifying how we are doing sports and being able, because the athletes, the few athletes that you're seeing that are out there in the system that, that are targeted right now, those are athletes who are under the belief again, coming out of Toronto, as I was just explaining to you, that somehow the NCAA and that somehow world cycling, who I know very well, and, and then swimming assumes that there was, there was science and research through policies to which there's nothing. But it's not the fault of the athletes. It is the fault of the organizations to which they're assuming these policies as somehow being, being, being factually based, in which they're not. 
So we're putting those athletes also at risk because the amount of social sciences, sorry, the social trajectory and, and so on has been exponential, mm-hmm. okay? And, and that's because everybody's yelling in these silos and not connecting the dots and, and coming together, which I was able to do with the IOC over the last two and a half years because we knew we had to change this. Well, how is the IOC going to change? What recommendations are you? Uh, well, the, the framework was put out in November, but I want to, I just, I, I just want to be careful of time. Okay. And I, and I, I just want to be able to also give, give examples. Here's a really great example to a couple of your listeners. Okay. Um, let's start off with Fallon Fox. Okay. And, and yeah, you were part of that. I think that's really important to make sure that we cover that in the, in the show. And Fallon, Fallon's a, a very dear person. Um, but I remember, I remember getting a call from the, the, the CEO from Florida State Boxing. It was back in the time, which you may recall, um, where Fallon was looking to do a couple of local events down in Florida. And, and, and what had happened, she'd been outed by, by, by a coach or a promoter or something. Um, the reporter. So, yeah, oh, thanks, Eddie. MMA thanks, thank reporter. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you for correcting me. And, and what had happened was I got a call from Florida State Boxing and got then got into, I was asked to help with that conversation. And then I got involved with, um, in, a, in a circle conversation with uh, U.S. Boxing, Florida State Boxing. And at that time, uh, Sherry Wolkner, who was the, from New York, who was the head of the medical chief, medical chief for uh, MMA. Yeah, you know, for the Association of Boxing Commission, she was the chief medical person. Then Dr. Sherry Wilkin, who, who passed away last year. just to, Right. I, I was really sad to hear that when you mentioned that to me the other day. Um, she was a very dear person. But anyway, to make the going back to the conversation we shared is that here was a situation that um, I was in this four way conversation with them. And Sherry, I, Sherry brought up that she goes, you know, I, she said, Kristen, I, 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 I'm involved with these athletes very intimately. I, 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 I see them virtually naked after every fight. I look, look for broken bones and injuries and so on. And they're standing right in front of me. And she goes, I only learned about um, Fallon being, having transition um, through, through, this, through this channel that's just come publicly. And I said, so I I turned to her and I said to her, so so what's the problem? (laughs) So here's here's the medical chief of the MMA declaring in front of the heads of of Florida State Boxing on this phone call, also US Boxing, and saying these, these, and very innocently on her part, by the way, because she's a very good, she was a very dear person and good person. She had no idea that Fallon had transitioned Mm. and she'd seen her naked. Okay, so so it was only at that point when I said to her, so so what are the issues, <laughs> right? So and that was somebody who's been through the surgical transition. So that's that's also a very important part of the conversation. So so she was kind of taken by she didn't know how to answer it, and either did the leaders of, of U.S. boxing or or Florida State because they were looking for something else. They were looking for the diversity out, um, and realized it's really that they were the problem. Um, and not so much Fallon was the problem um, because it's it's based all on weight. So her 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 participation in her in her category and, and Eddie can talk certainly talk to it better than I can. Um, that um, she was she was she was in the right weight class. So she was no different than any of the other girls that she was participating. And in fact, long term, she was at risk unbeknownst to her um, due to the fact that she had complete androgen deprivation. So 
that's really important because everybody's looking up front saying this athlete has a competitive advantage. Well, it never happened in, in terms of Fallon's career. But more importantly, we're not talking about, no one's talking about the risk to those individuals because they're so caught up in the, in the label of being transgender. I um, mean, it's overplaying the realities of what's going on with these athletes. So here's, a, I'll give you one more example because um, I want to be careful about time and, and we can talk about it further. I'm also a New Zealander um, in my, I'm a, I'm a New Zealander and you will know of Laurel, uh, Laurel Hubbard <clears throat> and Laurel it, it, uh, came back to weightlifting back in 2013. She had transitioned. She had the surgical intervention of her body. So when she signed that contract with world weightlifting all those years ago, she assumed under her signatory relationship as an athlete licensed within her international federation that the, that the, weightlifting body had done the science and the research to the policies to which she was participating, ensuring her safety on the field of play, her long-term health and well-being. Okay. Unbeknownst to her, um, that was not true. Okay. And so here we are in 2018. Uh, I will never forget it. I wrote with two, two of the world's leading experts outside of sport. Um, two weeks before the Commonwealth Games down in Brisbane, where she competed in, in the women's weightlifting. Okay. And what had happened, there was all this buildup and media buildup around her participation to going, oh my gosh, this is a male competing against women. You know, she has a competitive advantage, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, and we know, we know that how that cycle went, but what had happened is we sent this letter two weeks before to the leadership of the Commonwealth Games Federation in London. Okay. In preparation for the games and saying that we were concerned about Laurel's participation and her safety on the field of play. You know, the, the you reason concerned why, about, about Laurel's safety. About Laurel's, that's right. Laurel's. Okay. So you understand there's no, there is no science and research to these policies. Okay. Right. And this is because of the hormones that she's taking to support her, her, well, she, her transition surgery. Well, her transition surgery, she, unbeknownst to her, she, well, her estrogen, the estrogen doesn't support her transition history. Her, her, her estrogen supports her mental health. Uh, the cross generations of her hypothalamus gland. That's Got that's it. what that's what Doctor uh, um, Doctor Benjamin researched and designed for. It wasn't for her physical health and long term participation in sport. Okay, so what she did not know is that she had complete androgen deprivation. Like you, like you ladies, your primary hormone as an X, well, XX chromosome person is. Uh, estrogen and progesterone, as you both said, and your secondary hormone is testosterone, but both your estrogen and progesterone uh, production is anabolic. Okay. So you actually get three anabolic steroids at different levels in your physiology. Okay. She, um, this Laurel is XY chromosome. Okay. Just like Fallon, just like myself. And she's had the surgical intervention of her body. So her singular primary hormone is testosterone. Okay. And her body requires high levels of testosterone to ensure regular health and maintenance. And we know that because we understand hypogonadism. We know what happens in XY persons separate of the sex of the body, that when we reduce the testosterone, what happens in human physiology with XY chromosome? We know that, we know that science. And we actually know, and I'm going to use the word castrated, um, when we castrate a human being, we know what happens to the human physiology. We, we, it creates complete androgen deprivation, okay? That's what we're talking about. Let's not get caught up in transgender. Let's talk about the physical body, what we've done to the physical body. Sport has taken away that 
main gas out of the engine and put the athlete at risk. Okay. And but so isn't it, it, I'm sorry. Can I just say though, if the, if the athlete, if I decide to transition and why, I, uh, you know, if I was a white man, <laughs> why would I want to become a second class citizen? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Can you take that away? That, that yeah, has I'm just, absolutely nothing to do with it. Right, right, right. But if, I'm just making a social and, commentary. And no one decides to transition. So, no one so, decides to transition. No, you don't decide to transition? No, it's a biological thing. It's a life. In many cases, it's a life-saving science. Yes. Okay. So okay, how do you find how do you find out if you have the XY chromosome? You you got to go get tested, right? No, you're born with. Theoretically, you're born with a penis and a vagina at birth. So the majority of people know what their chromosome. They know what it is unless oh, they there's right, some right. genetic. Okay, issue. so so the, can I just can I can you can I just finish ahead, ahead, world, sorry. just to make my my point? And so. So we knew back then in, in our letter, because I could see the increased weight of her physiology, the, the more weight that she was bearing, and she was un, unaware of it because the World Professional Association in, that covers this in terms of the mental health side hasn't done the, because they're, they're mainly mental health people that work in the sciences around this. They don't deal with physiology. So mm. Laurel was gaining enormous, I won't say enormous, she was gaining, let me remember that, she was gaining more weight. And that's, that's, a, that's a direct, effect to complete androgen deprivation of the human physiology, okay? Having no hormones whatsoever to, to, to mitigate, uh, mitigate uh, metabolism. So, okay? but I'm just gonna interject a question because I, I want sure. our audience to kind of keep the thread, which, so what I think what I hear you saying is for an athlete in particular who has transitioned through surgery, right. there needs to be much more science around the balance of hormones to keep that athlete safe in the performance of the sport. Is that what you're, I'm hearing? You're you say? right on. Yeah, right. So, so okay. right. So, that, so, right. Beautiful. I'm grateful to you saying that. That's exactly what you're, what we're, where we're trying to get to. So what we understand, okay. And as you, as you all know, she was a heavy weightlifter in terms of the weights that she, this, the level that she was participating in. And one thing that test, one of the many things that testosterone does is what's called cell synthesis or, or it's a synthesis. And so what it, what it does is in terms of joint health, okay, our ligament health, what happens is it stimulates the health of those ligaments and the, and the body's ability to regenerate um, uh, cell, cell tissue to keep the healthy, healthy ligament tissue. But what was happening with, and it happens with every transition individual, just it just happened to be more risky for Laurel because she's lifting hundreds and hundreds of pounds over her head and, 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 and her body was getting more heavier. What was happening is that you're using, you're using an old elastic band and she's training on it. And then eventually it's going to give out because she can't no longer support it. Okay, no, her body is being, absolutely. And, and what happened, she two weeks at the games, as we predicted, unfortunately, she, she blew out her elbow and almost put her through a, through a catastrophic injury, which could have taken her out of the sport entirely. And that is directly related to policy. Period. Policy meaning, and again, I, I just want to make sure I'm really clearly understanding yeah. this. Policy meaning she cannot take testosterone to help balance that level. Sure she can. She can. She, she every 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 transition again, transition is not healthy. 
Okay, it health. It's only transit. Transition is healthy for the mental health. So, so I understand we, that. I'm just trying to. to there's no to, reason why she can't. There's no reason why a transgendered athlete cannot take testosterone. I'm talking about it as policy. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to um, make sense of the Absolutely. science and policy. And yeah, this, this the sporting bodies don't allow it. Right, they and set, that's they what set I'm these artificial, artificially low limits about. Right what their testosterone levels have to be. Exactly. That's what I that's want to cor That's correct. So, so the issue is, and, I, and that was where I get tricky with me here in Canada and with the World Anti-Doping Agency because they knew that I knew the truth and the sciences. Right. And, they, and they didn't want that the, the trick that we were having problems with is, is that I was trying to get to that point because my primary hormone in my body is not estrogen, it's testosterone. Right. Okay. So the estrogen helps to deal with my mental health piece. It doesn't deal with my physical needs. It doesn't deal with your physical needs. I'm biologically needs. bound to testosterone. Right. Okay. And therefore, when the policy of an organization is to say, well, if you're, if you are competing as a woman, your testosterone can only be here. It can't be here, which is where you need it. It ends up with somebody with a blown elbow or worse. That's right. So, so, Plus so the mental effects of having to live in a situation where they are not in balance, having their hormones right. you're, in stasis. You're, you're, you're bang on. So the body loses it. You're taking the, the easiest way is to describe, you're taking the gas out of the car and it starts to shimmy yeah. and shake and things start to fall off. My next question to you is, um, you know, you had talked about when you first started this on your road to trying to find some kind of legal remedy you were prevented initially because you, of, you had to go through arbitration versus being in a civil court of law. Is it still the case that an athlete has to decouple from their sports, their That's license correct. to sport in order to sue? Are we still there even yeah, after we're still there. court? We're, we're still there. That, and that's so, why Caster's in the European Center, Human Rights Court. It's, it's, it's exactly right. the same. It's case to Semenya, you're talking Semenya, about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, we're, yes, so we are still in the situation, number one, where we don't have the appropriate science to, uh, to be able to provide trans athletes who have gone through reassignment surgery the correct levels an understanding of the hormonal right. interactions that they need for stasis, number one. Number right. two, they cannot sue. Right. So, so for damages. Think, like, you're, you're right. So, wow. so the couple of things I want, I just would love to be able to say, and, and that is a wonderful synopsis of what you just said. And what the issue is also, if you look at what happened to Laurel in Japan, okay, I, my international colleagues, because I, I was doing a lot of media down in New Zealand, back home, to be able to help inform um, the community down there to give her support because I knew what was going on and she was now nine, 10 years into her transition. Okay. So I, I hate talking about athletes this way, but it's because I'm, I'm very protective of them. Um, but it's important that, you know, to get past this conversation that we really need to be having, which we are having today, which I'm grateful to all three of you. Um, but more importantly, it, 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 as importantly is the, the, Back in the summertime, I was under a lot of pressure with with my international circles because sport wanted me to say that 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 she'd met the mandate um, and that she had a right to compete and so on. And it got really dark for me because because in my mind is yes, she has a right. To, she she met the mandate that had no science and research behind it. And you put her at risk, 
Secondly, that she has a right to compete and feel safely on the field of play, but you couldn't provide it. And so, so the issue is, is it was a very dark place for me because I was being asked to, to present in the global media where I was doing 15 plus conversations a day. Um, I, I mean, we even had even the, my own prime minister down in, in <laughs> down in New Zealand um, was even spouting these spouting these words, which was which was completely untrue. And and I know for the New Zealand Olympic Committee, they were using a lot of my presentations so they could better understand and support Laurel. So from as Eddie and I talked about the other day, and as my many colleagues know, Laurel got up on this. And then you remember the ganging up and the bullying and the media that got out when she finally decided, she only decided two weeks before the Olympic Games that she wasn't going to participate because it was COVID-19 that enabled her to go down through the lineup because a lot of other girls who were, who were better, not better athletes, who had performed better that year statistically had, had outperformed her and were first bids to Japan, but their countries weren't sending athletes. So she, was, she slowly got through attrition, was able to, 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 get, to get there, which is fantastic. But the issue was, is that from, for many people, um, which I knew was gonna happen, she got up on that stage and she couldn't even get past the first round. Do you know why she couldn't get first through the first round? Is because she had had complete Anderson deprivation for so long over the eight to nine period, which seems to be pretty consistent with most of the athletes I know between a, a, a 10 year window or less, between eight and 10 years, who have gone through the surgical interventions of their bodies where the bodies completely failed them because she could no longer, she, she could no longer develop because she didn't have the hormones long-term to support those endeavors and allow her to build because all those things have been taken away from her physiology. So yeah. she was completely at risk on the field of play. Thank God she didn't have an injury like she did in, in, in Queensland back, back at the, 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 a couple of years ago, back in, back in Gold Coast at, at the Commonwealth Games. But I mean, I said, I said to colleagues afterwards, when it all happened behind the scenes, I said, God bless her. She just wanted to get up on that stage and say, I got here. And it wasn't because she was the first transgendered athlete and that she had all of this support, she had broken through all of the barriers that prevented her from getting there. And with her commitments and her, you know, just, just her will, because the system wasn't there to support her. Right. So anybody, when I hear people talk about, she's the first transgender, I don't, transgender athlete and she got there and blah, 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 blah. There's reasons over the last 19 years that this hasn't happened before or any other international event because the system isn't there to support them or to support us. And there's a, host, there's a tremendous historical history that has prevented us from participating. And there's these, like, these junk sciences, like Timothy and those guys who created these policies on, on athlete performance, they're, they're asking the wrong questions right off the bat. They're looking at performance. They're not looking at the long-term health of, of athletes and their participation and looking how we could pivot sport. I mean, when, when Pierre Coubertin designed the modern Olympic games in back in 1996, 1896, sorry, that he, he, he was seeing it through the lens of design by men for men to entertain men. And it was based on 13 Eurocentric countries. He never ever could have ever thought in the 21st century that there'd be 206 nations attached to the Olympic movement from all over the world, the global communications, all the various body types and the diversity that we all embrace, that that ever conceivably could have been done a century and a half ago, okay? So we're asking that vision of Pierre de Coubertin back in 1896 to look at 21st century issues. You're asking a framework to which 
to resolve something that it was never designed for. It is the framework, and this is where the work of doc, uh, Dr. Bach at the IOC and my good friend Rachel Davis and, and Prince Zaid Hussein from the UN had worked on with the IOC, but more recently also with FIFA on helping through the UN guiding principles to, to, to pivot the organizations so that we incorporate the ideas of prevention, health and well-being of individuals in every aspect of their business and, and that being part of it is the Olympic Games and effectively to, pushing that trajectory in which the new framework embraces, which we worked on for the last two and a half years, um, which came out in November, to, to embrace those ideals. We have to stop hurting people. And, and, that's, and, that's, and those are the first steps we have to think, and people need to understand what we're actually doing and why we're doing it. I, I think the aspect of science is so important because even beyond sport, as you know, there's a whole attack on uh, people that are called trans and intersex going on internationally. At uh, leading it, of course, is Putin uh, with you know his statements, and he just wants to roll back everything in liberal democracy, all gains that have been made. He's getting support on this on the issue of support from Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the UK. And in the United States, you have all these states that are putting forth these yeah. ridiculous bills based on absolutely nothing. And th that want to not only ban trans athletes, but just ban trans people in general, the law in Texas to go after uh, families who have trans kids and so forth. And you have basically these dying ideologies of this right-wing uh, right religious fundamentalism, which is losing steam, particularly among young people, trying to use the government to enforce this, these uh, increasingly unpopular minority positions. And I, I just wanted to mention the political context. Hey, you're, 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 you're bang, you're, and you are bang on, and, I, and, and thank you for sharing that. And that certainly exists in other parts of the world, in Australia and other parts. And, and that's the one thing, two things I'd like to mention in that, in, in that. I mean, I've had the good fortune over the last many years to travel um, through my sportings, um, my sport, and being able to reach, go across the, the globe. And I had a, an opportunity Two and a half years ago, when my when my book was published, my autobiography was published with Penguin Random House, and I went down to a to to New Delhi in, in India uh, for a week. And um, I wish I was there for a month; it would have been fantastic. You can't see India in any shorter time, but I was there in a very short window. But it was and really an interview from that still on YouTube. Oh, is it? Oh, fantastic! Thanks for yeah. and it was really interesting because um, I'm at young girls from all over the world but it's interesting too like when you think like we all think of north america like we i here in canada and in the united states we are we are classic colonial people and you go to nations that are based on european colonialism and we think we're the god's gift to, to the world you know with canada we have two languages and you know national languages and we have one in the united states but of course there's all the, all the national multinationalism that's going on between our countries and immigration which is fantastic to see that you know that is growing. But when you go to India, you're, you're in a country that's four or 5,000 years old, you have indigenous history. You're in a country that has over 22 national languages, you know? And, and so they've got all this figured out. It's only, where the problem happens with a lot of Indian athletes is when, it's, when, it's only when they come into the colonial world of, of Eurocentric sport is where they get into problems because we haven't figured it out like they have. 
the indigenous communities in, in the South Pacific, in, in, in the Caribbean, and in, in, in the continent African and India, have this way figured out because they're thousands and thousands of years old and they, and they address the issues of diversity and they, and, they, and they embed those values into their system. Instead of us, we're, we're, we're all fighting in these vertical silos and trying to punish each other and not seeing the value of diversity. And, and that's, that to me is heartbreaking because I, I, it's like, when I remember when I, you know, with my case in Toronto, I, I say to my colleagues privately behind the scenes, I'm shattered every morning I wake up. I want to, and that's really important is that people don't understand when I, because of what happened in Toronto, and I know the reality of, of, of the policies that are in the system currently is related to my, my situation in Toronto and what we, what we were able to do. And because sport didn't want to tell the world what they've done is that that policy is existing in, in sport. It also existing in, in, they're using it as, as being weaponizing it in the politics of the United States. And um, I'm using that just as for our conversation here. And then I wake up every, every morning and I feel incredible sadness because I feel part of, I feel connected to that. And it makes me, it, it breaks my heart when I see the trauma and I see young kids. Like I was dealing with my diversity when I was three and four years old, when there was no language like this anywhere. And I, and I, I suffered as a kid in sport for me became a, a safety net. It became a place where I could, I could find this place of safety because the rest of the world that I grew up in 30 years ago, when that, none of this, when I was transitioning, when I was dealing with this, none of this existed, any, any of this. So I had to find that safe place and sport became that. And now I'm watching sport becoming weaponized and, and being able to be used as a, as a politic to where these kids, I can't tell you how important that connection is. It's not about just participating actively in sport and being healthy. It's also being connected to community. And, and that's where people are missing in this conversation. You're, you're disconnecting these young kids who need the most to be to connected to community. And we're saying you can't come because we think you have a competitive performance advantage. It has absolutely, that's absolute nonsense. Has, there's no science that supports that. And what we're doing is that we're breaking down communities based on ideology, ideologies and labels. And, and, and it's painful for me to watch. And I personally live that, that darkness every day. It's very dark for me. And I have to, I have to process that um, with the knowledge that I'm sharing with you. And uh, we've also, obviously had other conversations behind the scenes um, before today. Um, but the real need is to ask us, ask the big question, why are we doing this? Why, why, why we're forgetting the human in the center of the conversation. And, and that's, and that's to me is very sad. And, and um, I know what that feels like, and I'm certainly in the place that I want to try to help prevent it. Because um, there's there's tremendous amount of diversity that we all share across all our communities and across our nations, and and it's 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 so important to use it as a as a framework to empower all of us rather than pull us apart. Right. Well, I want to thank you. We want to thank you for uh, participating and sharing your insights and knowledge with us because it is a complex conversation to have. And there's a lot of education that needs to go on. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm not versed in all the chromosomes. I don't know how that works. Um, so I know, if I'm, <laughs> I'm, I know if I don't know, I know a bunch of people don't know. Okay. Cause That's I, right. I know everything. So we're going to continue to have this conversation. We'd love to have you back.
uh, on the show. Um, is, is there anything you want to share with the people? Let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter or Instagram. Um, it's my name on on both cases. My, it's my name. It's Kristen Worley on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And and um, okay. I also am. I mean, maybe if I can do it through, I can, sh I can share you everyone with my autobiography. Um, right on. Is, is that um, on Amazon or you, you have a- It's on Amazon. It's called, it's called Woman Enough. Um, okay. And and it is through Penguin Random House Canada. Nice. And um, it's on Amazon, um, which talks about this kind of historic, um, this, this, histor this history over the last 18, right. 19 years. Right. So I think that, I think that's a really great starting point. And I just want to thank, um, first of all, Eddie for reconnecting me. And I'm just, so glad to have met you both today as well and to have this important conversation um because it is it's, it's it's important to go back to square one it is we all need to go back to square one and, and ask bigger questions of ourselves and right. i'm just delighted that to be we can have these types of conversations like we did today it's it's what needs to happen and we need to have more of them absolutely all right melissa tell everybody where they can find you sister Okay. First of all, again, thank you, Kristen. I've learned so much out of this conversation. and I really appreciate you allowing me to sort of take what you're saying and try to digest it a little for our <laughs> listeners. Um, and I'm, uh, you know, at Girl Boxing Now. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. I'm Melissa Smith, and I'm definitely connecting with you, Kristen, on LinkedIn. And uh, just thank you again for uh, being on our show. Thank you very much. And, and let's do this again. I, I look Absolutely. forward to it. All right, Eddie, tell everybody where they can find yeah, you, so my brother. I, I, I also want to thank Kristen. It's been such a delight. We spoke for a, a while, a couple of days ago, and uh, I'd say she's a goddess if I believed in any god, but I don't. So she's <laughs> other than the I'm not sure what that means, Eddie, but that's good. <laughs> close, close. We'll come up with something secular for that. You could find me. My uh, podcast, by the way, is no longer available on Podomatic for a whole bunch of different reasons. I took that down, but you can still find, you could go to my site, eddiegoldman.com. It is still available for free to play or download on Anchor, on my Patreon page, and on the Internet Archive. And I have li links to that where you could get the whole many years of uh, episodes there. And uh, Twitter is a place I'm most active on talking about boxing and, and baseball and politics and whatever else the hell comes up and uh, my health and stuff. And that, that's it at NHB News. And uh, that's the main social media that I use. I still got some of the other sites that are around, but I don't use them too much. So go to go to Twitter, sign up. That's where the real discussion is. That's right. Again, right. you guys are gems. Thank you so much. All and right. Let's plan to do this again. Awesome. All right. You take care, Kristen. And Thank I you. am your fight goddess. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Angry Afro Radio and check out our website, War Sports. That's W A A R sports.com. And we will see you next time. Peace, love, and push ups. <laughs> <laughs>